Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Breda Pest Management, the official pest control of UGA Athletics. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. I told you all on Monday that I thought the CFP Top 25 show, when it took place on Tuesday night, should be nothing but an apology to Georgia because last week, you know, you were led to believe, well, I guess Georgia just must not be that good of a team based on the fact they were only ranked number three and they were kind of ding for this and ding for that. And it kind of fell into a little bit of a series of negative evaluations of Georgia over the uh, week leading into a dominant win against Tennessee and a historic unforgettable night there in Sanford Stadium, unforgettable afternoon there in Sanford Stadium. And I said, if the CFP committee has the guts they should have, they'll look straight into that camera and they'll apologize to Georgia. Well, we didn't quite get that, but we got something kind of close in that. I thought it was interesting when they announced the rankings. You know, a lot of times it's all about building the drama. You know, you start from 25, you work your way to the top, and then when you get to that sort of like top six, you start working your way up there as well. Well, last night they just did it different. Last night when they kind of got there to like what they were kind of calling a top seven, they're like, okay, we know Georgia's number one, so let's stamp them there and move on and talk about everything else. And that to me is a pretty, I guess, strong image of exactly how it looks in college football right now is that Georgia is obviously atop the college football world. Ohio State is just behind them. You can debate how close Ohio State is to being behind Georgia, but they are behind them right now. And then it's everybody else. And when you watch a show like that last night, I think you're left to conclude, wow, you know, given the fact that Georgia's a pretty big favorite on Saturday and expects to be a pretty big favorite against Kentucky the following Saturday, and then it's in-state rival Georgia Tech after that. All of a sudden, Georgia kind of looks in a similar spot they were last year in the SEC championship game where maybe you don't even have to win the SEC championship game to make the playoff. And suddenly, maybe this really is a situation where Georgia's playoff status is almost assured. Now, you hear me using the word almost. I'm not saying it's definitely assured. I'm not saying it's sewn up right now. But given the reasonable expectation for what many people think will happen in the coming weeks, gosh, it seems like way more likely than not that Georgia's going to be back in the college football playoff, at least according to appearances. So I think all of that, given where Georgia is, given some of the issues the other playoff contenders have had, Clemson's kind of fallen off, Alabama's kind of fallen off, uh, you know, a, a team like TCU in the top four, people are wondering, was well, that really kind of a top four team? And, you know, just, just some of the overall discussion that takes place, it just sort of seems like you're kind of scrambling to figure out, well, what are the obstacles for Georgia here? You know, you know what stands in Georgia's way? What could potentially prevent Georgia from making the college football playoff? And some might say, hey, nothing could. Georgia's going to be back in the college football playoff once again. And maybe that's right. It's actually not my purpose right now to say if that is or it isn't. Let's just stipulate for the sake of conversation that Georgia really is fated to be back in the CFP once again. And that's kind of where all this is heading. The big question then that comes on the heels of that is, well, if that's the case, then what is Georgia playing for? What is this Saturday about versus Mississippi State other than own the East one more time and clinch that spot in the SEC championship? What's the following Saturday at Kentucky about? Especially if Georgia clinches the division, you've come as if you've kind of from one perspective kind of rendered the Kentucky game next week as a non-entity. At least it seems that way. And then in-state rival Georgia Tech, it's been a long time since we've seen Tech be competitive with Georgia at all. What's that game about? And if Georgia's undefeated and goes to the SEC championship, last year Georgia seemingly proved you could be undefeated, go to the SEC championship, and not even have to win the game to actually make the playoff. What's the SEC championship about for Georgia? 
you know, what is it that Georgia's playing for if they're so obviously and clearly the number one team in the country? Now, I don't ask that as a rhetorical question. I ask that as a question that deserves to be answered because there is, I believe, a very big answer for this. And this is the thing that I think every Georgia fan should have his mind wrapped around, her mind wrapped around. The team itself should certainly have its mind wrapped around this as you move towards the really pivotal moments at the end of this regular season and the start of the postseason that Georgia actually has quite a lot to play for. Here's the thing you need to understand. When it comes to the college football playoff, we spend way too much time discussing who is in, and in a year like this, we don't spend nearly enough time discussing what happens after that's decided. And this year, there is a huge advantage for some team, potentially, in terms of what happens after the college football playoff field is set. Many of you know what I'm about to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. Look at the two national semifinal games this year. One of those games takes place way out in Arizona, far out west, you know, a couple thousand miles away, long plane flight. And as a lot of you are aware, the other national semifinal game is Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, a place that Georgia has already played this year and beaten a possible playoff team 49-3, to and a place that Georgia will play presumably in a couple of weeks, assuming it takes care of its business as a big favorite again in an SEC championship. We'll see how it goes once they get there. That this is a year in which not only do you want to make the playoff, but if you're a team like Georgia with a semifinal game in your own backyard, you desperately want, you desperately want to make sure that you handle your own business enough, control your own destiny enough so that you get that semifinal game in Atlanta and you don't have to go to Arizona. Because beyond that, as many of you are aware, this year's national championship game is in Los Angeles. Now, if you're Kirby Smart and the Georgia players, you can't kind of think this far in advance. But trust me when I tell you, somebody somewhere in that football building is very well aware of all this because travel is potentially kind of a great equalizer and if you think about with Georgia looking as good as it's looking right now and the mission of go for two and 22 what are some things that could stand in the way of Georgia achieving that other than college football is a weird sport and weird things can happen on a game-by-game basis if Georgia were kind of fall into a trap where suddenly it you know created a scenario where it had to travel more then all of a sudden games get far harder to win it's harder to win a game in Arizona than it would be in Atlanta no matter who it is that you're playing in those particular games. If you don't believe me, let's listen to Kirby Smart on this for a moment. Last year – no, hold on one second. Uh, let, me, let me set this uh, clip up. <laughs> that scared me. Last year um, in Indianapolis, prior to that national championship game against, Atlanta, uh, against Alabama, Kirby Smart was asked about the differences of, okay, playing this game here as opposed to when you played them in Atlanta for the national championship at the end of the 2017 season. That's fair to point out. Georgia didn't win that game, but – playing a national title game in Indy as opposed in your own home state, as Kirby pointed out, brought out a lot of differences. And all of this matters when you think about this year's college football playoff. Why don't you take a listen to this? Yeah, it's a little different. You know, that, that was extremely unique because we flew all the way across the country and we had a super fast turnaround. I, I remember that week being one of the toughest weeks of my life because it was like we got home, we started working on them. But then we, it was almost like a home game because we used our facility for most of the uh, practices before going over. It had a little more of an SEC championship feel to it, um, whereas this is unique. You get to travel, um, come to Indy, and, and, and the weather is uh, very different for uh, a Georgia-Alabama matchup. I can promise you that. So did you notice the phrase that Smart used in that? 
particular clip, this is from Indianapolis last year, looking back on the 2017 season. He said, this was one of the hardest weeks of my life. Now think about how you felt during this time. I know how I felt. This was a magical time for me. This is George in the Rose Bowl. Now you got to understand something. It seems like now, well, of course, George is in the college football playoff. It, it sort of feels like they're going to be in the college football playoff forever. But y'all, in year two of Kirby Smart, it did not feel that way. In year two of Kirby Smart, uh, you know, George was coming off an eight and five season in year one. A twenty fifteen season was at least bad enough that you moved off from Mark Rick. You know, the idea that Georgia at the start of the twenty seventeen season was like a playoff level team, there weren't very many people who were saying that there at the time. So what Georgia did in twenty seventeen was go on a magical run. And to play a playoff game in the kind of most magical location of all, the Rose Bowl out in California, this was a dream come true. But for Kirby Smart, who was obviously kind of working under the hood and kind of trying to manage his team and tinkering with all the stuff as it relates to the team, he said it was actually the hardest week of my life. And some of you kind of know this, that there was a little bit of a weird calendar, uh, I guess you call it like a anomaly that year in that because New Year's Day was a Monday, the national championship game was only one week after the some playoff semifinals. In some years, it's like two weeks. It's almost at least 10 days usually. But for that particular year, it was only seven days. I can tell you this. I was in the locker room for Georgia after that Rose Bowl game in Pasadena. I can tell you this. Kirby Smart was unlike any time I've ever seen him before. He was trying to get that team out of there. And I probably didn't like the media session just because, you know, you know, that's just kind of the way it goes. But even beyond that, Kirby Smart was trying to get that team out of that locker room, get them on the plane, get them back to Georgia, getting them healed up, getting them rested up, getting them prepared to play Alabama in just seven days. Bama had played in New Orleans against Clemson, and Georgia was way out in California. It's a you know, three thousand mile uh, plane flight, four hours in the air. Even if you're, you know, kind of taking those nice Delta charters, that is still a long bit of travel. And I'm not saying that's the reason that Georgia lost the game, but anybody would tell you that the preparation for Georgia that week was made more difficult because Georgia, even though it's playing the national championship game in its home state, was having to come from California to get back to Georgia, and that, as Kirby Smart said, made it the most challenging week of my life. Well, guess what? If you were going to a national semifinal game in Arizona this year and then either having the choice of leaving Arizona, coming back home, then to go back to California or staying out there, which a lot of NFL teams do for a long period of time, whichever choice you make, that's also going to make a very challenging scenario. So to me, that's all the motivation you need to go out there and just keep winning these games against Mississippi State on Saturday against Kentucky after that against Georgia Tech after that and yeah you may be 12 and 0 and your playoff spot may be assured but your game in Atlanta isn't assured yet so leave no doubt in the SEC championship game and earn the right to play at Mercedes-Benz Stadium for a third time in a season in a national semifinal game go for two and 22 is a real thing it is a very realistic possibility that Georgia could win a second consecutive national championship. But realistic possibility does not rhyme with it's a sure thing, it's definitely going to happen. That is not rounding up to say it's definitely going to happen. There are a lot of obstacles that still stand in Georgia's way towards truly getting this done. And everything you can do to make it easier is obviously to your great advantage. That means handling these Bulldogs this upcoming week, the Maroon version, handling those Wildcats after that, getting the SEC championship team as an undefeated team, and then winning there as well. And all of a sudden, you get a chance to play a national semifinal game in your own backyard. 
can you imagine how exciting that'd be how much fun that'd be for Georgia fans who'd be trying to scarf up all those tickets but can you imagine how advantageous it would also be to the ultimate mission there as well go for two in 22 it can happen Everything Georgia can do to make it easier is to its benefit, including understanding where these games will be played if Georgia can get back to the college football playoff. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented today by Breda Pest Management, and we are glad to have you with us. No matter how you get to us today, live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. Uh, we start at 9.45, dognation.com, the Dog Nation app, for our first and 15. Then we kind of roll into the regular show after that. And as I was telling some of our first and 15 audience a little earlier, I realized, like, and this is a real number, like 99% of you that watch the show or certainly 100% of you that listen to the show, you know, you're listening after we do it live. And so while I don't get to say your name out loud the way that I do for some of our live viewers who comment during the show, uh, you are just as valuable and important to me as anybody else is. So I don't say this to you enough, but for those of you who watch On Demand, which is literally almost the entirety of the audience, thank you very much for being a part of it. For those of you who listen to our podcast, hey, some of you have been with us since 2015, which is amazing to think about on that side. Uh, thank you so much. I will never stop being genuinely, deeply, eternally grateful for your support of our show. I just really, really appreciate that. And it's not just for you, the audience, but because of our audience, we're able to also have great sponsors there as well, including our friends at Breda Past Management. This is a true story. Uh, very, very soon, I've got Breda Past Management coming out to my house. They're going to uh, start doing our uh, pest control here. We've been seeing a lot of bugs running our house as of late. My wife has been giving me so much grief because my daughter always squeals because some cockroach or something will be you know, crawling around upstairs or had a wasp in the house of the day. And so my wife said, hey, it's time to get this pest control situation taken care of. We've got too many bugs in this house. So our friends at Breda Pest Management are going to come out and do that for us there as well. And they're the official pest control provider of UG Athletics there too. So when you think about you know termites on a football field the size of San Bernardino, there's room for a million termites. So if that's what's going on there, imagine how many of those could also be like silent destroyers attacking your home. You already know how important this is. You've already got a termite company, probably. But here's the thing. You're also getting that letter in the mail that says, hey, your service is going up. Cost of service going up. Everything's more expensive now. Termite control, uh, prevent, uh, protection, just another one of those things, it seems like. But our friends at Breda Pest Management can show you a different way than that. Because they've got so many resources, official pest control provider of UG Athletics, in business since the 1970s, more than 100 employees stretched all across the market doing great stuff here. Because they've got those resources, they can marshal those forces for you to actually save you money. So when you make the switch to Breda Pest Management, you're going to save money instantly. That's what they're able to do for you. Put more money back in your pocket. And I know you know that is a very good thing. So please find them online, BredaPest.com. That's B-R-E-D-A, BredaPest.com. You can find them today. We are so happy to have them and all of you with us on the program today. We're going to get Mike Griffith here coming up in a moment. We'll do a Georgia Farm Bureau Insider Update with Mike. Before that, though, I want to go around the doghouse. Now, let me continue something we've been talking about for the last couple of days here as we're around the doghouse. So we said that I thought it was just really, really weird, the level of disregard that George was getting going into the Tennessee game and trying to push back against the, I think, the temptation of media hates my team. Every fan base at some point in time thinks the media hates their team. I gave you the example of when I was like the eighth grade. Why does Tim McCarver hate the Braves? Watching the World Series on CBS way back in 1991, 
that was my first kind of foray because before that no team I cheered for had ever been good enough to be hated by the media uh but you know when when McCarver shows up and he's daring to say something good about the Minnesota Twins back in the 1991 World Series that's kind of my first foray into media hates my team but every fan base at some point in time thinks the media hates their team and so we're trying not to kind of fall into that cliche but it's hard not to notice there was a little bit of a one-way street last week of people thinking that Georgia was just going to be exposed against Tennessee and that somehow Tennessee was this freight train that could not be stopped offensively and Somehow, some way, I told you that I thought the way in which this game was talked about was very similar to the beginning of the season, when you've heard me say this now a million times. I did not have a problem with someone thinking that Alabama would be better than Georgia, as erroneous as that appears to be now. Nor did I have a problem with somebody thinking that Ohio State might be better than Georgia. Ohio State's clearly a good team. They're even better this year than they were last year, I believe. It's not you know, a, a, a sin to say Ohio State might win the national championship. But what we had an issue with at the beginning of the year was is somehow this is a unanimous opinion. Somehow everyone is sure that both Alabama and Ohio State are better than Georgia. It was the, to use a big word here, the unanimity of the decision that just seemed really, really bizarre to me. Everyone is somehow so sure that Georgia is going to be a poor follow-up to its national championship season of a year ago. And so what we've tried to talk about the last couple of days is, what is it about Georgia that is so hard to see coming? What is it about Georgia that is so hard to understand? And maybe this might give us a little bit of insight into how the rest of the season is going to play out, Georgia's chances of succeeding, and maybe the media and the larger college football sort of, you know, conversation, why it's sort of so hard to kind of understand that as it plays out. And a couple of things we talked about. We talked about the idea of complementary football the other day, that some teams are about one superstar player. But at Georgia, it's about offense helping defense and all 11 guys kind of working to help each other. And in a lot of ways, it oftentimes seems like no one player is any more important than the other. Like the highest regarded offensive player, Georgia's Brock Bowers. He's certainly almost for sure a first-round pick, a very high first-round pick in a couple of years. But you often see him blocking for somebody else. Uh, on defense, obviously, you know, last year we saw five first-round picks, but Nerick Award winner and the number one overall pick, and yet no one of those guys sort of stood taller, head and shoulders above anybody else. We kind of understood that, oh, that's complimentary football for Georgia. Guys work to help each other, and that's very different than the sort of superstar-driven version of the sport that seems to exist other places and people just sort of embrace simplicity and the sort of simple notion of oh so-and-so's got a great quarterback therefore they must be a better team that just becomes a little easier to understand in all of this and we talked about another kind of version of this yesterday about how Georgia's just sort of physically tougher than other teams and we're kind of in a day and age now in which it seems like the physicality is escaping from the sport that's kind of what some people want it to be uh, and yet Georgia kind of runs against that current. You know, I told you yesterday that the archetype for football coaches used to be like Army generals, very tough, gruff men. And lately it seems like the football coaches that are celebrated are a little bit more like tech billionaires. They dress casually. They look younger. They got the stubbly beard. Think about Sean McVay, the coach of the world champion Los Angeles Rams. That's kind of the archetype of the of, of the modern coach. He doesn't look like your PE teacher when you were in high school. He looks like something different. He looks like you ought to be, you know, inventing Uber or something like that. It just It's just a different kind of model. And yet Georgia kind of runs against that, which I believe makes Georgia a little bit harder to understand. And then let me give you another example of this here today. Another area in which Georgia is quite comfortable being different than everybody else, 
But the difference, I believe, makes it a little hard for people to appreciate what Georgia might actually be, and in some respects, maybe makes it a little bit difficult for people to see Georgia coming. Let's, let's think about a very hot trend in college football over the course of the last couple of years. Let's think about transfer portal. And I think a lot of folks have kind of been of the belief that the transfer portal is going to be the great equalizer. And, you know, these teams like Georgia, they've been hoarding all this talent for all these years. They're not going to be able to do it anymore because we've created a level of lawlessness with you can just leave and go wherever you want to at any point in time. And you got all the power now. And these programs are used to having all this talent at their disposal. They're not going to have that anymore. And if you don't leverage the transfer portal to your benefit, you're not going to win very much either. And yet Kirby Smart has kind of stood, once again, content to kind of run against that current. Now, some people say, well, Kirby's resistant to change. Kirby doesn't resist change. There's plenty of change he's been willing to adopt, including when it comes to the transfer portal. He's been willing to take a portal player here and there. It's not that Kirby resists change, but it is true to say that Kirby's slow to change. I think that is I think that is. Uh, true. And I think being slow to change is really actually a hallmark of success. Successful people always make up their mind quickly, change their mind slowly. Unsuccessful people do the opposite. You can look at any kind of field and see an example of that. And Kirby Smart's principles, the things that he's decided matter to him, he is a little slow to want to change those. And after the game on Saturday on CBS, a lot of folks made note of the fact that when he gave his post-game interview, the first thing he said was, hey, we didn't take any players to the transfer portal. Now, given a chance to sort of think about that more and ask about that again on Tuesday night, he sort of sort of softened his stance on this a little bit, but it seems pretty obvious that Kirby wanted folks to know on Saturday that he has built a winning team at Georgia. The staff that works with him, they have built a winning team at Georgia. The players who are part of this, they have built a winning culture at Georgia without having to fall for every trend, fly-by-night idea that currently exists in college football. So last night, Kirby was asked again, hey, is it more enjoyable to have the success that you're having knowing that you haven't fallen flat on your face trying to chase the transfer portal trend? And Kirby kind of maybe seemingly softened his stance some from what he said on Saturday, but nonetheless, this is Kirby on that topic from last night. I don't know if it's more enjoyable because we did or didn't because I enjoy the guys we have taken. I love Taiki and I loved when Mo Smith was here and, and I don't even know whoever else that we've had come. So I've loved that. But I just think that there's a lot of uh, thought that that's the, the way to success. And uh, it certainly can help you and it can hurt you. It's 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 one way or the other. But it's uh, – I mean, we tried to get kids out of there. We tried to get a couple out of there and, and, and didn't get them. But it's getting the right ones. It's not how many or any. It's does the guy fit your culture. And um, I'm proud of the kids that stayed here and competed and, and, and wanted to improve and get better because we had, we had quite a few leave too. So there are two things that Smart says there that I think are really, really important. And one of these is something that I feel like I said a, a, a good bit here, which is that, hey – there is no such thing as anything in life being all good with no potential downside. There is no free lunch. Everything that's potentially positive has a potential negative downside risk, including the transfer portal. And a lot of people sort of sold this as all good, no bad. Of Oh, you're not a good coach if you're not leveraging the transfer portal to your benefit. You're not a good coach unless you're going out there and trying to get as many transfer portal players as you can. This is the new trend. This is the hot new thing. And smart people embrace the hot new thing. And old school dinosaurs, they reject that. But they're going to get left in the dust. They're going to become extinct just like the dinosaurs did because they're not embracing the hot new thing. And what Kirby Smart says there, and we've tried to say there too, is sometimes it is good to take transfer portal players. 
But sometimes it's not. Sometimes you sacrifice something for outsourcing the talent that you need to to win games like this, the development of the talent you need to win games at the highest level of college football. There's a potential benefit. There's also a potential downside. And Smart points that out. And the other phrase that he uses, which is so important here is, and this is the thing that if you're a Georgia fan, I think you have to be very, very happy that your coaching staff seems to get this, is that ultimately, whether it be five stars coming out of high school or high-profile dude coming out of the transfer portal or guy that commands a big NIL deal or guy that doesn't, it's all got to be about cultural fit. And ultimately, culture really does matter. You can't measure it uh, on a scale. You can't identify it on an elemental chart. But somehow, some way, there is something to a winning culture. And when the culture erodes, somehow, some way, and I can't explain it, you know, I'm, I'm not even smart enough to be able to put it into words, but I know it when I see it. Somehow, some way, if the culture erodes, the on-field performance seems to erode as well. And we said this prior to the start of the season. We pointed in a direction like Alabama, who seemed so happy to embrace as many different transfer guys as they could. And we said, hey, I know this seems like, ah, Nick Saban's using the portal better than Kirby Smart is. But there is a risk associated with taking a bunch of guys from a bunch of different places and bringing them in here and hoping that your culture remains what it is when you've got so many different people who've been influenced by so many other voices prior to them getting to be a part of your program. In fact, some of you have actually reached out to me to say, hey, B, I remember when you said that because now other people are saying the same thing. Our buddy James Lawson, who watches our show a lot, he shared this with me on Twitter. There's a guy named Richard Johnson. Richard's a sports writer who I think works for Sports Illustrated, but he also does some TV work for the SEC Network. James shared this with me from Richard Johnson, basically on TV this week, echoing about Alabama some of the things that I said prior to the start of the season that to me were a little bit of a concern when you bring in so many extra players. Georgia doing it differently and different in this case seems to be better This is Richard Johnson from the SEC Network on the topic of what has happened to Alabama. And if you're a Georgia fan, be very happy this isn't being said about your program right now. Remember, there's a fundamental difference, I think, in how this Alabama team is built and how this Georgia team is built, right? Georgia, zero transfers. Alabama, multiple transfers, including multiple transfers that they counted on in key spots at wide receiver, at left tackle. Obviously, Jameer Gibbs at running back, who is obviously... Uh, obviously fits the bill of what they needed. But when you bring in outside guys, it changes your culture. Sometimes it changes it for better. Sometimes it changes it for worse. And I'm not saying they brought in a bunch of bad eggs. But what I'm saying is that Georgia's culture, they knew what it was going to be coming into this season. You didn't have to guess because all those guys had been together. Yes, they were stepping up to replace guys who went to the NFL, but they'd at least been together. But when you add parts from the outside sometimes it's not just plug and play to go win a national championship we said that before the start of the season i believe now that's been proven true now more people are saying that including richard johnson right there from the sec network this week let me kind of sum all this up by saying this why does it seem like sometimes the college football conversation is a little slow to embrace georgia beginning of the season when the defending national champs were no higher than third in the preseason polls or going into last week prior to a game against Tennessee in which a lot of folks were thought that Tennessee might expose Georgia. Why does it seem like certain people, whether it be media or just sort of fans at large, social media, why is there a slow embrace of Georgia at times and, frankly, an incorrectly slow embrace of Georgia? 
I think it comes down to Georgia's slow embrace of trends that other people say are really, really very important. Oh, you better embrace transfer portal. You better have a bunch of transfers. Otherwise, you can't keep pace in the modern game. Kirby Smart content to say, we'll look at transfers, but we're not going to remake our roster with transfer players just because that's the hot new trend right now. Kirby proven right, the larger cultural current proven wrong. And that's where the disconnect, I think, comes from. It's another example of the others we've been talking about this week of ways in which Georgia's just a little bit different than the hottest trends. It's working out well for UGA, but it does make, I believe, Georgia far more difficult to understand for the people who kind of fall in love with whatever the hot new thing actually is. So good stuff there. It's Around the Doghouse here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management. Before we're done, deeper look at the CFP Top 25 from last night, kind of what's interesting underneath Georgia and all of that. There are a few things I think you need to be aware of. We'll kind of get to that here coming up in just a little bit. Also, in the upcoming weeks, it's the games that have playoff implications they are going to have extra importance right now. We're getting late enough in the year in which we can really kind of sort of winnow some of those down to the small handful of games that really matter that really have some playoff uh, sort of stakes in them and we're going to talk more about some of those here coming up in just a little bit too we also have a great golden shoe today uh, that's really really fun too and we'll kind of get to that there as well so a lot to cover glad to have you with us but for now winning against Tennessee tough road test coming up on Saturday aftermath of the CFP top 25 let's do it all it's a Georgia Farm Bureau insider update with Mike Griffith here today on Dog Nation Daily From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. All right, Mike, a lot I want to get to with you, and glad to have you with us, of course. But before we get into the win against Tennessee and what comes next against Mississippi State, most, I guess, recent piece of news here is uh, Georgia back atop the college football playoff top 25. What did you make of the rankings last night? What is interesting to you about the latest CFP top 25? Always. Um, you know, you start with TCU, it's a long shot, but if they went out, they're in. The committee sent the message by moving them ahead, Tennessee. You know, one loss, Tennessee at large is not going to get it across a Big 12 undefeated. Now, I don't think TCU is going to, I mean, we're going to, you know, do our go with the flow show Friday night, BA, and I don't know if TCU, Texas is going to be on there, but Texas is a seven point favorite for That's a reason, and then TCU's got to play at Baylor, and then they got to close at home against Iowa State. And so you say, okay, you know, all right, maybe if they went out, but they're not going to win out, so let's cancel it. So one of the takeaways, though, is that the committee is penalizing Michigan for their schedule. You know, because you, you, I thought Ohio State looked kind of bad against Northwestern. They won an eight Northwestern team, twenty-one to seven. They struggled, and Michigan, meanwhile, dominated. And I think I would argue that Michigan has looked more impressive against the Big Ten, particularly Penn State, than Ohio State. And yet, Ohio State stood ahead of Michigan in the rankings. And that was because the committee said Ohio State played Notre Dame, and you look at Michigan's non-conference, it's got like UConn and Hawaii and some other bad football team on there, and the committee's holding that against them. So here's the final Jeopardy takeaway if you're a Tennessee fan. A one-loss Tennessee would probably get in over a one-loss Michigan. If Michigan were to lose the Ohio State game and finish with one loss, and you got a one-loss at large Michigan versus a one-large Tennessee, they're going to take Tennessee because Tennessee has more impressive wins than Michigan, I believe. So that was one takeaway. Ohio State stayed at number two. That's the flip side. Does a one-loss Ohio State get in at large over a one-loss Tennessee? And I think this is where the Heisman Trophy comes in, right? So the C.J. Stroud factor. So that's okay. This is interesting. So Tennessee fans really need to hope that Ohio State beats Michigan. Okay, so that was one takeaway. 
another takeaway. When they started talking about the Pac-12 teams, and USC was ranked like four spots ahead of UCLA, and, and, the, and the commissioner, Boo Corrigan, was asked, well, why is that? UCLA beat the team that beat USC. That's right. And their only loss was sore. Well, you know, they said um, Caleb Williams and the everything. Wait, wait, wait. Like, now we're picking teams based on – so, yes, yes, Brandon, having a Heisman Trophy candidate absolutely has an effect. And why? Because I do believe, whether conscientiously or subconsciously, these people are aware of television ratings. And I think that absolutely gives USC more sex appeal as a one-loss team. Now, I, I'm a believer that there's going to be a one-loss uh, Pac-12 champion. The fact that Oregon is only one spot, okay, this was the other interesting thing, Oregon yeah. versus Tennessee. The committee was asked last night, do you view both of those games as lopsided? Yes, they do. And this was my thought, and I don't know how you feel about it. You saw both games, too. I thought Oregon, this is going to sound crazy unless you watch these games closely, Oregon, to me, looked better than Tennessee everywhere but the scoreboard. And here's what I mean by that. Oregon outrushed Georgia. Oregon didn't have a three and out until the fourth quarter. Oregon didn't give up a quarterback sack. Oregon didn't allow a play longer than 40 yards. If it hadn't rained, I think Tennessee would have gotten blown out by Georgia. And I think the committee looks at that game, and you might say, well, 27-13, 49-3. I think the committee says, you know what? Both were blowouts in their own right. And I think that's bad for Tennessee because if Oregon wins the Pac-12 as a one-loss team, I would almost guarantee they move over Tennessee because I think they want the conference championship games to matter. And here's my final thought. Clemson dropped all the way down to number 10. That was a little bit of a surprise to me. But I don't think Clemson's out of it yet, and here's their way out, in my opinion. If Dabble finally makes the quarterback change, if Dabble finally makes the quarterback change, and Clemson blows out everybody and is an ACC conference champion, and Clemson is more impressive against South Carolina than Tennessee is against South Carolina, I still think Clemson is a one-loss ACC champion past Tennessee, provided they change quarterbacks and they beat South Carolina in a more convincing fashion because it's a, a mutual opponent. So that's kind of my list of takeaways. So on the Georgia part of this, I said this before you joined us, to me, the thing for Georgia is when you look at where the semifinal game is going to be played, you have Arizona and you have Atlanta. And there is obviously such a huge advantage for Georgia playing that game in Atlanta that – that, to me, is what it's all about right now, that it seems like Georgia could very soon kind of lock up sort of college football playoff status. Obviously, last year made the playoff without winning the SEC championship. Maybe it could do the same thing again this year. But I think there's more to play for this year than there was a year ago, which it was like Dallas and Miami uh, as playoff games, two locations that really neither one was particularly advantageous uh, for Georgia one way or another. But Arizona and Atlanta are two very different locations especially given the fact that the national title game is also out west in los angeles that is a lot of travel you want to avoid as much of it as you possibly can until as late as you possibly can uh, obviously you can't help but go to los angeles but if you can help not going to arizona you want to mike that to me is motivation for georgia to keep winning and i'm not saying necessarily you know keep winning impressive because frankly just winning at mississippi state would be i think uh, impressive enough but you better keep winning here because if you can do enough to control your own fate and put yourself in atlanta for that semifinal game that would be a big boost to georgia's national championship hopes i believe i'm going to go so far as to say this if georgia had played clemson in the sugar bowl and alabama had to play oklahoma i think georgia would have won the 2017 national championship i i absolutely agree it's you, you lose hours you lose you lose preparation time 
And as it turned out, Georgia played a much tougher team than Alabama did, which, by the way, Alabama didn't even play in a conference team. I mean, my goodness, this is just bringing up, you know, ridiculousness to me. And they lost 26-14 to Auburn, by the way, and still got it. So, you know, I, I don't want to hear about 2018. So, but, but your point is absolutely valid. There's no doubt it, it is. It, it, there's, there's motivation anyway. So, you know, like you and I on the outside looking at this, and, you know, we're playing percentage football, and we're thinking, you know, and your point is so – but but in Kirby in Kirby's house over there in Buttsmere, Brandon, the motivation is to win every. I almost said a bad word. It's to win every play. It's to win every quarter. It's to win every half. It's to win every game. It doesn't matter what the stakes are. Kirby, it's it just this is just how they operate over there. So there's there is no buzzing around in the players' heads about this or that or the coaches or anything. But to your point, is us analyzing this from ten thousand feet? Yes, there's no doubt that it greatly increases Georgia's chances of winning the national championship if they play that first game in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. I'm totally on board with you. I thought the uh, moment Saturday was the most unforgettable day in the history of the stadium, obviously the highest-ranked matchup of opponents ever, and just the experience of watching the way they played out was everything I think that it was supposed to be if you're a UGA fan. What did you think of Georgia's win against Tennessee? Well, I knew that Georgia was in good shape when you didn't try to put a damper on me in the second quarter when I said, Brandon, how do you like this? And usually you'll say to me, Mike, don't go there. This ah. team's got a long way to go. But you just smiled. You knew. And I said, well, if he knows that the, the battle-tested Georgia fan who's been burned so many times is not even having a second thought, then then it, it, they must really be good. Because you knew. <laughs> you just smiled when I said that. <laughs> and normally we've only had a couple other moments where I've said that at Georgia-Alabama games, and you turn to me and say, don't, please don't. Now, they, they pulled through in the national title game, but you turned out to be right in 2018. But it was, it was dominance. It was, and the thing was, Brandon, I felt like I felt it before the game. I, I was doing, I was doing that, that fine bomb. And when I go, some, you know this, we go on the air, and, and, and there's some thoughts we still really, we're just, boy, I, I, I really think this, but I shouldn't say it. I just shouldn't say it. And I didn't intend on saying, you know, the Lions going to come out of the cage and Tennessee's, and I'm thinking, I get up the steps going, what am I doing? If Tennessee wins this game, I'm never going to hear the end of this. I sounded like I was leading the Georgia parade. And it wasn't about because I covered Georgia. You know that. I, I, I can be as critical as anyone and, and critical analysis, and I'm, I'm not a fan. I don't wear Georgia Bulldog gear, but I just felt like Georgia's, like Tennessee, like I was up in Knoxville all last week. And what Tennessee had done was, it was darn impressive. And I understand the importance of finally beating Alabama. But that wasn't a vintage Alabama team. I didn't want to say that. I don't want to water it down for them. But hey, you beat Alabama, everybody's beat Alabama. Oh, you beat Alabama. I mean, Texas A&M should have beat Texas should have beat Alabama. Not the Alabama that we know. But still, it's Alabama. It's like shooting a, a deer, you know. It's like, well, you know, that was not even a, that was kind of a fawn. Like, you know, not really the buck, you know. You didn't really get the real big. But they beat Bama. And they beat Florida. And they're feeling good. And Hendon Hooker's playing good. And they've got all this timing. And, and, and I'm, I'm looking at this. I'm like, gosh, Jalen Carter against Florida. Look what he did. People aren't seeing that. You know, he only played 20 snaps. But look at the way he was in their head and busting things up and Kirby's temperament throughout the week. And then the college football playoff committee comes out. And they drop Georgia to number three. And I said, oh, oh, oh. oh, my. Because it's one thing for the players to hear from Kirby Smart every day that you guys aren't there yet. No, you know, nobody believes in you. Yeah, coach, whatever. Everybody's telling me. Now the college football committee has just put Georgia on blast. Hey, Georgia, guess what? Not only are you not number one, you're not number two. Okay, now them's fighting's words. 
Now everybody's on board. Now everybody is in. You saw the leaked audio. You heard the leaked audio. Another day at the office, but Kirby's sharp, man. He's sharpening these guys up, Brandon. And I'm thinking, and then Eric comes out and says, you know, that this is a tea and crumpets crowd and it's not loud and the vowels will be. And I'm going, oh my goodness, he has no idea what 2019 Notre Dame was like. And now this is, these fans are going to respond to this. And, and Tennessee does not know what's going to be waiting for them when they come out of the tunnel. They don't know. And Georgia gave them three points, and the fans got even louder. And I'm going, oh, this is just – and it was just uh, ass-kicking. I just know the way to say it. I mean, physically dominant for four quarters. And it said 27 to 14, but it might as well have been 100. Tennessee was never coming back or 27-30. They were never coming back in that game, Brandon. Uh, you know, I listen, it was uh, quite an impressive performance. It was a great thing to be able to see. Now I want to ask about what comes next. Before that, though, what comes next for us is to remind you, this is a Georgia Farm Bureau Insider Update with uh, Mike Griffith here on the program here today. Obviously, Georgia is leaving the state, going to unfriendly confines for the next couple of games, but we are here at home. We love being at home, and we love working with an insurance company that understands what home is all about because with Georgia Farm Bureau, they are always the home team. You're talking about agents who live and work and do life in communities just like yours across the uh, great state of Georgia, and they know that in the SEC and Georgia football, it's more than just a game, and you want more than just an insurance policy. You want somebody who understands when it comes to auto insurance that vehicle is the thing that gets you to and from work every day, which is the way in which you pay for all the things that kind of fund your life with your family and that home and your home insurance. That's the place that where you know you kind of that's your home base that's where you you know make your memories and 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 live your life and georgia farm bureau gets all of that these are friendly folks these are local people whether it be the agents the claim adjusters whatever else these are folks kind of like right there in communities just like yours across the great state of georgia so you can find them online gfbinsurance.com gfbinsurance.com all right mike in the time we have left i want to uh, just quickly say this is that when we would do conversations before the season began, my audience, me, and you do the same kind of thing on your show during the week there as well, when people would say, what's the toughest game Georgia's going to play this season? I almost always said at Mississippi State. I would oftentimes mention at Kentucky too, which is the game next week, but I would almost always say at Mississippi State. Now, a lot has happened since then. You know, Oregon's a playoff contender. Tennessee became a, you know, a hot, hot name before last week, and yet now that it's the week of the Mississippi State game, the one thing I'm really trying to do is kind of go back into my mind where I was before the season began, what I thought I knew before my mind had been clouded with all this recency bias, and what I thought was SEC West team playing at home, loud crowd, physically tougher than people realize. This is not quite the same kind of Mike Leach teams we've seen in Texas Tech and, and Washington State, some of those remote Western outposts. This is a little bit different type of team, a little bit more SEC style uh, for Leach now at this stage of his career. And all of those things that I thought were true before the season began, Mike, they are still true. I am a fan here. I want Georgia to win. And as a fan, I wouldn't quite say I'm nervous. That's not really quite a way to say it, but um, this is definitely a game in which my radar is up for. Uh, you know, Georgia needs a good performance on Saturday because it is going into, I believe, a pretty tough environment. Yeah, and under the lights. You know, and, and I have seen, I've, I go back to 2016, Tennessee was rocking and rolling and lost under the lights at South Carolina to a, not a very good South Carolina. It, things happen under the lights in the SEC. We've seen it. They, they happen on... 
so that that is a concern. And then this is the night game. Everybody, you know, oh, you want a night game? Okay, careful what you wish for. You got one. It's on the road. Cowbells, middle of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. Time out you know, for a second. When, when people say they wanted a night game, I don't think they wanted cowbells ringing in their face in Starkville. I don't think that was well, quite the thing good. they were hoping for. Uh, beggars can't be choosers. Georgia got their night game. You know, everybody sees that. But it, it and it's it's a great environment, and it's going to be a good crowd. And 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 look, Laura Rutledge, when we talked to her last week on Dog Nation, and she brought up a great point about Missouri, about Kent State. You're, you're getting everybody's best game, and, and it, you just can't be at your best every week. And, and you know, we, we've had Coach Pruitt on my show. He says, look, Kirby's – he called. He said, Kirby's going to have these guys ready for Florida and Tennessee. He said, Kirby's toughest job is going to be Mississippi State and Kentucky. You know, because after you play an emotional game like that, it's hard to get up again. I mean, what Georgia did was amazing. I mean, I just – I don't normally like let the last game flow over in the Wednesday and next week, but I'm still shaking my head. It what an amazing performance and coaching job Kirby and his players and staff did. I mean, that was, and, and the Georgia fans as well. I mean, seven to ten points, right? So, uh, but to your point, do they have the firepower? So I think about this: the last time Georgia played Mississippi State, Mississippi State held Georgia to eight yards rushing, and it took 401 yards from JT Daniels to beat them in the COVID year. And that was a really big game because that was the first game that, that Georgia didn't have, like, control of their own destiny. They were playing a game that didn't have championship implications for the first time in four years. And, and Georgia was flat that night. It wasn't, and Mississippi State was sharp. Georgia wore the black uniforms. JT threw for 401, and they, they survived it. That was a, you know, and then they finished the year with four wins and stayed in the top ten, and the momentum continued, and, and the wheel keeps spinning, right? That was a really big, pivotal game. Because if Georgia loses that night to Mississippi State, Brandon, they don't finish in the top ten. I'm not saying that they're not doing what they're doing now, but the momentum is broken. I mean, the fact that Georgia's got, what, 17, 18, 19, 20, 20, they're riding a string of five straight years ranked in the top seven in the nation. That's remarkable. That is remar- That is unprecedented. This is the best years in Georgia football history that we're watching right now. And that game was a crossroads because you just lost to Florida. So I think about that. So there's some inherent respect. I go back to the 90s when I covered Alabama, Mississippi State, and now Kentucky. These were teams that even when you won on the scoreboard, you left the stadium black and blue. Your players were beat up in these games. Mississippi State has some dudes, okay? They may not be five stars. They, they, may, they may not have five-star rankings, but they got five-star fists. And they, and they bring five-star physicality. And this is their chance to shock the world. This is their chance to salvage the season. This is Starkville's opportunity, cowbells, under the lights, Georgia team, unsuspecting. This is for one night, these guys' chance to do something that will make them remembered for the rest of their lives. How does Stetson Bennett respond? This is big. Stetson was outstanding against Tennessee. I would put that game at Stetson. I don't care what the numbers say. I don't care that it was whatever for 27 and 250. They only threw four passes. He was outstanding. That was Stetson's best performance in my mind, right, From for four quarters. From the time he put the phone sign up because they rang his number, I love the way he responded. I love the throws. I love the judgment. I love the leadership. That Stetson Bennett right there was amazing. And if you've got that guy, that Stetson Bennett the rest of the year will win the national championship and will be sitting at the Heisman Trophy ceremony if we can see, not as the winner, but as a finalist, which is amazing because Georgia hasn't had one since 1992, if he can play like that the rest of the year, this is going to be unbelievable. But I don't know that he can because we haven't seen that. We can't have a Missouri. 
You can't have a Kent State. You can't have a Stanford. You can't have a Florida 20. You can't have a Florida 2022. If Stetson is Stetson, the best version of Stetson, they're going to steamroll this team. With all due respect to Jim Donnan and his 1990 stunt, you can explain that later. They will steamroll this team if Stetson plays well. Stetson is the intangible, and that's not just picking a Stetson. I don't care who the quarterback is. Whoever the quarterback would be would be the intangible for a game like this on the road, under the lights, because the leadership, the judgment, and you're in a, you've got to control the ball and not turn it over. It's the whole, only way Mississippi State can win this game is turnovers, Brandon. I don't think it's going to happen. I think Stetson's going to play fine. I think George is going to win this game by 17 to 21 points. All right, Mike, good stuff. Thanks for being here. Uh, appreciate that. Uh, obviously, our Georgia Farm Bureau Insider Update. We'll look forward to reading a bunch from you at dognation.com and then talking to you back here on the show again very soon. Great stuff, B.A., thanks. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. All right, certainly interesting getting ready for Saturday. And listen, here's what I'm telling you. Um, to me, this is a game where if you win it, you claim victory, you move on. So you think about post-game show on Saturday – if Georgia wins this one 31-17, I got nothing bad thing to say. It's not a point spread cover. It's not whatever. If it's 27-17, to if Georgia wins this game and moves on, this is one, you plant your flag, you claim victory, and you go on to the next thing. It's not about style points for me. It's not about, you know, beauty contest stuff. Georgia has earned the right now to win games and move on. And uh, that's what I believe Saturday night, Mississippi State, kind of about now listen if you can add on top of that then obviously i'll take it uh but you're on the road against the sec west opponent a game that we said before the year began was going to be tough uh so go out there and handle your business in starkville on saturday night should be interesting to see let's get ready to go cruise around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean and obviously uh we want to handle our business as well coming up this april we're on board independence of the seas but prior to that we got some great experience at least i do and you can there as well you know, when I'm thinking about, you know, easy, quick getaways, you know, I'm thinking about Royal Caribbean cruise vacations. And obviously, sometimes that's like the big family trip. It's like the seven day type deal on an Oasis class ship and taking advantage of all the great opportunities that exist there. But you can also do like the three night deal. And, you know, you can take like the shorter sailing three and four night sailings. You know, going to the Bahamas, you know, going out to Port Canaveral, if you live in the Atlanta area, that's probably the easiest, quickest port for you to get to. And it's almost like a, just a nice, easy weekend getaway, which is really fun. And, you know, a lot of times you hear me talk a lot about the Oasis-class ships. I admittedly do really like some of the really, really big ships. But there's also something really kind of fun sometimes about some of the smaller ships in the fleet, too, in terms of kind of like the quaint atmosphere on board the ship in some respects, but also about the different kinds of ports that you can visit. Sometimes the smaller ships get a chance to visit sort of more... Uh, I guess unique ports or you know kind of more sort of further away interesting ports and so that's a fun thing to kind of consider there too the point is is that whatever your preference would be for the kind of Royal Caribbean cruise vacation you think you like there is a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation for you big ship small ship long trip short trip everything in between and then coming up soon in January of 2024 I'm talking about the new standard of all standards the icon of the seas and that's going to be amazing and you can find out more about that with our friend Jessica Slater great travel agent you can give her a call 770-718-9147 that's 770-718-9147 give her a call let her tell you about all the great options available to you and make sure she tells you about that dog nation cruise too i know she will because uh, it's going to be a great experience in addition to all the fun things you're already doing on board independence of the seas you're going to get some special dog nation events there too 
So talk to Jessica about that or visit the website she's made specifically for you, royaldogs.com. That is royaldogs.com to find out more about the Dog Nation Cruise. All right, so let's kind of get into for a moment here the rest of the CFP Top 25, and I believe we have a graphic that shows it to you. Uh, Let's kind of bounce through this and talk about the stuff that matters here. Look down there at the bottom for a moment. You see Kentucky at 24. Don't forget, that's Georgia's opponent for uh, next week. So if you're thinking about future games for Georgia, as it stands right now, a CFP top 25 matchup lingers here very quickly. You see UCF 22, Tulane at 17. These are the only two group of five teams currently ranked in the top 25. They play Saturday. One of those teams would appear to have that inside track on a New Year's Six bowl berth. So there's no Cincinnati this year like there was a year ago. It looks like it's Tulane UCF for that spot in a New Year's Six Bowl. Laughable that Notre Dame, which has already lost to Stanford and uh, uh, Marshall, is now 20th. It's just, I mean, it's just the same Notre Dame stuff every single year, no matter what. It is an absolute joke. They are 20th, but you already know that. So I guess, you know, maybe we shouldn't be all that surprised. Texas is 18th, but as we were talking about before, they are a touchdown favorite against TCU on Saturday. That's clearly one of the games that has... Very big playoff implications. And certainly worth noting, they're the highest-ranked three-loss team, but a danger on Saturday against the Horn Frogs, who do have the toughest remaining schedule of any of the playoff contenders, at least based on the metrics that are used. Then let's look here at the Pac-12 teams for a moment, because with Utah at 13, UCLA at 12, USC at 8, Oregon at 6, it looks very possible that a one-loss Pac-12 champion is very much in play for a playoff berth in a way that has not been true in recent years. Now, you also have the chance of Utah winning the league with two losses, given the fact that one of those was at Florida. I think you can pretty much eliminate them from conversation. But the Pac-12 is very much alive in the playoffs right now, and that includes the possibility of the highest-ranked Pac-12 team, an Oregon team that was blown out by Georgia, kind of being in the mix for this too. So, that makes for an odd scenario, but a real scenario. Um, a lot of folks are pointing out, and if you kind of get deep into the college football conversation, you'll notice this. The fact that USC is so far ahead of UCLA, a team that lost to the team that UCLA beat, I mean, it just doesn't make any sense in the world. There is no resume reason that USC could or should be ranked ahead of UCLA. This is just the committee being silly. I mean, they just don't watch the games that closely. They just don't have the ability to to speak in kind of, to use a big word here, qualitative way about the teams. They just don't know how to compare team to team. They just don't. I'd take any 10 football fans at a bar. I'd make them my playoff committee far more than I'd make the people that are actually on this committee the committee. This is the latest example of that. Mike was talking a, lot of, a moment ago about Tennessee, what their playoff hopes are after this. I mean, look. I think it'll be very interesting to see how Tennessee plays after this. That's what's going to be really important here. Tennessee's obviously still in the mix of the playoffs. That's obvious. Uh, and an 11-1 and Tennessee team would get consideration much the same way a non-division winning Bama got consideration in 2017. But question number one, before you get to all of that with Tennessee, is not how do they compare to a potential one-loss team like such as Oregon or compare to the loser of the Ohio State-Michigan game. The question asked for Tennessee is, How do they respond now that the shine has kind of come off a little bit? You know, Tennessee was sort of riding this wave of, I mean, the fans certainly felt like they were bulletproof coming to the Georgia game. That's obviously changed now. So kind of bouncing back with Missouri on Saturday. Tennessee's a big favorite. But can can Tennessee play like a playoff team now that they've kind of lost momentum? Can they find it back here? 
with Missouri and South Carolina and Vanderbilt kind of looming here to conclude the season. That's question number one for Tennessee. And then after that, you'll make the comparison between a Pac-12 champ or a Big Ten runner-up. And I think there's reason to be said when it comes to the Pac-12 that it sounds like right now they may not compare too favorably, at least if it's Oregon necessarily. Um, I, I do think that Michigan has the potential of being dinged for its non-conference schedule. So, um, you know, you probably, I think, probably root for Ohio State to win the Big Ten if you're Tennessee. But, but ultimately, the bigger question of all is, what does Tennessee do to respond now that it's lost? That may be the bigger question of all. And by the way, one more thing to mention here is the other SEC team of note right now is LSU. LSU can win the SEC West. They can get to the college football playoff. I should say they can get to the SEC championship. And then if they weren't able to pull the upset against George, which obviously we wouldn't necessarily say they would, but you know LSU does have a chance here to kind of make some noise where you know they can beat an Arkansas team. If they can beat a Texas A&M team, they're going to be a favorite in both those games, but not as wild a favorite to win both those games as you might think. That's just kind of the way that math sort of works from time to time. But, you know, they would have a chance at seven to be the first two-loss team to ever make the playoff if they could beat Georgia. And then the question that everybody seems to be asking is, well, what happens then with, you know, at that point would be 12-1 and Georgia or, you know, 11-1 and Tennessee. Things could get kind of crazy if LSU were to go on a run here. So it's Georgia's job to prevent that from happening, which maybe first Saturday in December is exactly what's going to happen. And we'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. By the way, speaking of some of those games with playoff implications, let's give you a little bit of a preview for those right now. These are our MyBookie best bets for the week here. Georgia is a 17-point favorite uh, at Mississippi State on Saturday. I'll, I'll just tell you flat out, I'm not really worried about Georgia losing this game. But I wouldn't bet your money on 17 points right now. I just wouldn't. I'm not saying they don't cover the number. I'm saying I don't have any degree of confidence about that number. It's a lot of points on the road. Um, I've told you right now, I'm satisfied with a win. Um, I, I think I think it's sort of do your job, win the game, move on for Georgia. So do with what, with what you will. The 17 there at my bookie seems like kind of a lot of points for me right now. Speaking of a lot of points, another game playoff implications. Tennessee hosting Missouri is a 20.5-point favorite. I think that's worth watching very closely here. Uh, Bama on the road again. They're, what, like 2-8 and eight in their last 10 as a, uh, a road favorite here. But once again, favorite against Ole Miss. Um, it, it's an amazing scenario for Alabama. Out of the playoff chase, not kind of playing a lame duck portion of their season and doing it on the road once again. That's fascinating. LSU with the SEC West in front of them, but only a three-point favorite against Arkansas, a team that right now seems like it has nothing to play for after having lost at Liberty. That's an interesting game. Uh, TCU at Texas, probably the biggest game of the non-SEC slate on Saturday. Longhorns there, a seven-point favorite. This is the kind of thing where if you don't fully follow gambling, you're kind of taken aback by that. But these point spreads are based on power ratings, and the Texas power rating is high. The TCU power rating, despite the fact they're actually collecting wins at a pretty nice rate, including some fairly impressive uh, wins when they got them. But TCU just hasn't played a ton of defense, and you're never going to power rate very well when you're not playing defense uh, very much. And the Horn Frogs are kind of a classic old school style Big 12 team with uh, all of that. So it is fascinating in the uh, playoff race this week in a game that we're not going to pick on go with the flow on Friday is Oregon and Washington. It's a good rivalry game. Two ranked teams in the Pac 12 as the Ducks put their playoff contender status on the line once again. 
So this is definitely crunch time of the season. Georgia right where you want them to be at number one in the country and a whole lot of teams battling below that. And, of course, those are our my bookie best bets. And you can get your opinions heard on the games, get your action down on the games by finding my bookie online. Just type my bookie into the browser. Internet will do the work for you. After that, use the promo code DOGNATION. And when you use the promo code DOGNATION, you're going to get a big deposit bonus. You put in $400, they're going to bonus your account $400. So, so they're literally like doubling what you put in, boom, before you even place your first bet. That's good stuff with our friends at MyBookie. And they'll do that up to $1,000. Then after that, you play, you win, you get paid because it is winning season right now at MyBookie. Last night, we were watching a lot of action in my house. Uh, Toledo pulling away, getting a win. There was another Mac game on, too. I forget who that was. But it's like during the week, you can bet on football right now. Sundays, obviously, uh, Thursdays, Mondays, you know about that. This is like that stretch of time. There's like a football game on for like every night for a full month with the Mid-American Conference doing their thing in the middle of the week right now. So the place to get your opinion heard, your action down, our friends at MyBookie. And when you use the promo code DOGNATION, all one word, spelled the way it's supposed to be, D-A-W-G, you can get that big first deposit bonus there as well. Of course, we're looking forward to the weekend, heading towards that with our friends at uh, The Finished Long Drink. And uh, don't forget... On Fridays, we'll celebrate the start of the weekend with our big finish presented by the Finish Long Drink. As we wrap up the week in style, we showcase a lot of dog fans enjoying themselves with the Finish Long Drink. So make sure you do that and get ready to enjoy it. It's going to be a great time. But if you've never tried some, you can go to thelongdrink.com and put in your zip code. Bar, restaurant, golf courses, all kinds of places that you may be able to find this, whether it be the cranberry, which is obviously the cranberry flavor, the long drink strong, that's 8.5% alcohol by volume, the long drink zero, no carbs, no sugar, the traditional, it's a blue can, got the grapefruit flavor, the gin kick, whichever variety that you think you'll like, I think you should try them all. In fact, you can get one of those eight can variety packs, which is two different cans of each of the four long drink varieties and enjoy some of that today. It's delicious. I think you'll enjoy it. And it is just a great time. So check out the finished long drink online at thelongdrink.com. So tomorrow we'll get back to making fun of Tennessee again for our golden shoes. But today I want to share, just listen, this is just good parenting. And it's uh, Pablo White that sent this to me. Uh, I want to show you this on the screen here. This is really great. Uh, young child showing off gator hater credentials here, which is great to see. So Pablo writes in to say, I was at work. And my wife had Florida playing on TV, and this is what my son said. He already knows it's a gator hater household over here. Can he get a golden shoe? Pablo, you better believe your son gets that. And if you listen to the video, we can't. Uh, you can't really hear it too good over the music. But if you listen to the to the video, uh, that's that son giving that young man giving the Gators a bunch of grief right there, which you just love to see. So uh, Pablo's clearly raising him right. We love to see that. A great lineage of Gator hating going on, and that's a uh, good way to get a golden shoe. So Pablo, thank you so much for sharing that. And to the young man involved, thank you so much for being a part of that there as well. 353 days from right now, by the way, Georgia back in Jacksonville, beating up on Florida again. That is our Gator Hater Countdown, and we'll see all of you tomorrow here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Past Management. And on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews Podcast Cooldown. We'll take your comments here on dognation.com or on Twitter at dognationdaily. That's generally the best places to get my attention. Our, our buddy Buster on Twitter says, if you heard Greg McElroy, who we kind of shared some audio from on yesterday's show on the Feinbaum program, he said, Talking about five-star headaches and recruiting coaches and players, coaches, the difference. He says the positive contrast with Kirby's pivot after what happened to Zach Evans was uh, very clear. Um, so, you know, kind of weighing in on basically like the challenges at Alabama. And Greg McElroy's kind of talked a lot about that. And we addressed that on one of our shows the other day with some audio from McElroy and 
you know, Kirby did, as Buster points out, talk about the importance of character in recruiting. And Connor did ask the question that day, and Kirby seemed ready to answer that as as far as how important it is to evaluate the character of a player where you're bringing him in and not just uh, his ability to play the game. And this is one of the things we know, and we're not going to be Pollyanna-ish about this. You have to have elite talent to succeed. You do. And if you have a subpar talent, an elite level of character, integrity, and um, you know those types of things, that may serve you well in life, but it will not make you a better football player. That the entryway to success in football requires talent. But once you become the kind of program that is very good at acquiring elite talent, then within that category, you can be more selective. And the truth is, is if you don't have elite talent, just about every coach takes a lot of shortcuts in terms of the players you bring into the program because you have to have very talented players to win. And you are a little bit more willing to tolerate certain things with an elite talent than you are with a lesser talent because you have to have elite talent if you want to be able to win. But once you've established a standard where pretty much everybody that comes through the program has the potential NFL future, if they have that level of of, of credentialing, then you can start looking for other things because in a battle of elite talent versus elite talent, the better men will win. The the men that do have the character component to go along with that. That if I'm a 99 on the talent scale, but a 47 on the dude scale in, in terms of you know what kind of man I am, and I'm facing a guy who may be a little bit less than me in the overall talent scale, but a lot more on the kind of intangible scale, well, then that guy's going to probably get the best of me because there's just something about that. You've heard it say that hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Maybe that's true, but what's especially true is is when you have elite talent that is willing to work hard and put in the effort to to form a team unit, that's virtually unbeatable, and that's maybe what Georgia was uh, last season, and maybe that's what they are this season too. There's still time to be told on that one way or another, but there's no doubt that that culture is a component to how Georgia's trying to win these games. There is no doubt that is the case. Keith Dryden also mentioned the possibility of a rematch with Georgia and Oregon in the playoffs after Bo Nix said that he thought the game would turn out differently if it was replayed. Well, what's funny is is that if the game was replayed, as I said on today's show, there's a very good chance the rematch takes place in the same stadium the first game was played at. So that would be potentially problematic for Oregon, and Bo Nix may have reason to regret the things that he said in terms of making it sound like the game would be so different. I have sort of half-kiddingly, half-seriously said, if Georgia played Oregon again, I also believe the game would be different. I don't believe Georgia would win 49-3. to What I believe is Georgia would win 31 to nothing, and they would do so in a way that would make the Oregon folks long for the glory days of 49-3. to Because there is a way in which Georgia beat Oregon the first time that didn't quite feel like Georgia. It was a lot of throwing the ball. It wasn't very much running. I don't believe the defense was playing as well that day as it has played in some of the games since then. But you let the version of Georgia that played against Tennessee play against Oregon again, a Bo Nix quarterback who's kind of already shown you the 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 likelihood of wilting in a situation like that. Uh, Georgia would run the ball down their throats, would stifle them defensively, and make them wish that it was as easy as it was when they were only getting beat 49-3. to The scoreboard may look more narrow, but the feeling after the game would be as hopeless and bleak as ever. <laughs> That's kind of how I think that game would go if it were to be played again. But either way, uh, we'll say goodbye to you for now. Thanks for being a part of our podcast, Cool Down. Find R.S. Andrews online, rsandrews.com, for your air conditioning, heating, 
plumbing and electric needs. They will show up on time, do the work that's promised, the price is promised. You can trust R.S. Andrews and all of that. And we'll see you back here tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management. We'll look forward to talking to you then.